rigged the raft and shopped for supplies, joined us for pizza, and, like us, wore neither perfume nor cologne. Pam was 36, an Olympic ski racer, and Bennett, 25, was trying to keep up with her. They had recently fallen in love and exuded a mixture of endorphins and pheromones. People almost never describe other people in these terms, noting first their smells, for we're primarily visual creatures and rely on our eyes for information. By contrast, the only really important sense key for the big golden dog doing his little dance in the headlights was our olfactory signatures, wafting to him as we opened the doors. It was for this reason, smell, that I think he trotted directly to my door, leaned his head forward cautiously, and sniffed at my bare thigh. What mix of aromas went up his long snout at that very first moment of our meeting? What atavistic memories, what possibilities were triggered in his canine world view as he untangled the mysteries of my sweat? The big dog, now appearing reddish in the interior light of the truck and without a collar, took another reflective breath and studied me with excited consideration. Might it have been what I ate and the subtle residue it left in my pores that made him so interested in me? It was the only thing I could see, note my human use of see even while describing an olfactory phenomenon, that differentiated me from my friends. Like them, I skied, biked, and climbed, and was single. I had just turned forty-one, a compact man with chestnut hair and bright brown eyes. But when I ate meat, it was that of wild animals, not domestic ones, mostly elk and antelope, along with the occasional grouse, duck, goose, and trout mixed in. Was it their metabolized essence that intrigued him? Some whiff of what our Paleolithic ancestors had shared? Smell is our oldest sense. It was the olfactory tissue at the top of our primeval nerve cords that evolved into our cerebral hemispheres, where thought is lodged. Perhaps the dog, a being who lived by his nose, knew a lot more about our connection than I could possibly imagine. His deep brown eyes looked at me with luminous appreciation and said, You need a dog, and I'm it. Unsettled by his uncanny read of me, I had been looking for a dog for over a year, I gave him a cordial pat and replied, Good dog. His tail beat steadily, and he didn't move his eyes still saying, You need a dog. As we got out of the cars and began to unpack our gear, I lost track of him. There was his head, now a tail, there a rufous flank moving among bare legs and sandals. I threw my pad and bag down on the sand under a cottonwood, slipped into its silky warmth, turned over, and found him digging a nest by my side. Industriously, he scooped out the sand with his front paws, casting it between his hind legs before turning, 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 and settling to face me. In the starlight, I could see one brow go up, the other down. Of course, brows isn't really the correct term, since dogs sweat only through their paws and have no need of brows to keep perspiration out of their eyes, as we do. Yet certain breeds of dogs have darker hair over their eyes, what might be called brow markings, and he had them. 
The Hidatsa, a Native American tribe of the northern Great Plains, believe that these sorts of dogs, whom they call Four Eyes, are especially gentle and have magical powers. Stanley Corrin, the astute canine psychologist from the University of British Columbia, has also noted that these four-eyed dogs obtained their reputation for psychic powers because their expressions were easier to read than those of other dogs. The contrasting colored spots make the movements of the muscles over the eye much more visible. In the starlight, the dog lying next to me raised one brow while lowering the other, implying curiosity mixed with concern over whether I'd let him stay. Night, I said, giving him a pat. Then I closed my eyes. When I opened them in the morning, he was still curled in his nest, looking directly at me. Hey, I said.